Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit SugarHillChurch.com. The other day, um, by the way, find, if you would, Luke chapter 10, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 10. Uh, the other day I went, I was, um, my car has this little gauge on it that tells you how many miles you've got left in gas. Y'all do that? So I'd push it a little bit and my car, when I pulled out of the driveway, said you have zero miles. Okay, that's not good, right? So, so I go to the nearest Exxon station near our house because that's the nearest gas station. It's not the cheapest gas and it's not the best place, but it is the closest place. So I pull in and I put my little card in the reader and the thing won't work. And I try it on the reader and I'm thinking, well, I'm out of money. So I try another card and that doesn't work. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's not me. So I go in the store and by now I'm frustrated. I'm late for a meeting. I'm out of gas. What in the world? So I go in the store and, you know, I'm real. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a teetotal jerk. You know, I just unload on this poor dude behind the glass. Right. And then on the way out, I say just loud enough to where, you know, I'm not supposed to say it, but it just comes out of my mouth. And here's what I say, jerk. Now, I realize I have RA free in front of my name. I'm never supposed to do that. I should have probably never confessed that before you. But the fact of the matter, it's not the first time I've done it. I get in my car, I slam my door, crank the car, I'm and I'm tipped off. God kind of reaches down and said, you know, Chuck, you're the jerk. Ooh, ouch. So I pull the car around, get out of the car, go into the Exxon station, see the guy. I say, man, I'm sorry, really. I know I acted like a jerk. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And I'll never, you look back, I mean, here's his word. Dude, everybody talks to me that way. <laughs> and you know what I thought? God help us. Because that's not, that's not how I'm supposed to talk to you. And that's not how people who claim to be followers of Christ are supposed to talk to you. There's a difference. There's a big difference. I was struck this week as I was reading and preparing to teach about uh, the Good Samaritan, a story most of us have heard many, many times. And those words kind of struck me. Everybody talks to me that way, mister. Last night, Jenny and I went to our favorite little Mexican restaurant down in Peachtree Corners, and the lady, the, the young lady who was serving us, she was really gracious and kind, and uh, she was busy and whatnot, but she really was nice, and, and Jenny took the time to get to know her. I mean, I'm one of those people that when I'm, when I'm eating Mexican, I really, it's rare when I have a moment to stop inhaling food, you know, and so... Uh, Jen, on the other hand, she decides to get to know this young lady. We'd been there two or three times, and we'd not been, you know, kind of superficially gotten to know her. And Jenny decided to ask her, hey, what's your name? She said, well, you know, my name's Juliana. Oh, well, we've got a daughter named Juliana. And, oh, that's great. How old are you? I'm 25. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And then the girl lit up, and she said, I've I got two kids. You want to see pictures of my kids? You know what I, you know, a guy like me thinks? No. <laughs> but Jenny, on the other hand, says, yeah, I'd love to. What? You know, so she breaks out, breaks out the pics, you know, and she's showing me the pictures of the kids and everything's cool. And then I'll, I, then she looks at it and she said, but you know, I got this problem. I'm a single mom. I'm trying to finish a degree in biology and I'm working here part-time to try to make ends work. And my mom let me know, I can't babysit for you anymore. I, I got to have some help. Do you think your kids could help babysit my kids? And every guy looked at her and I said, we got a whole church full of people that'll help you. So Jenny said, well, where do you live? She said, well, do you know where the Gwinnett Braves play? Yeah, I live just around right there. Really? 
So Jen says, well, just drive on the other side of 85, cross over Petrie and Dust. You'll see our church on the right. And I promise you, these people will just love you. You'll come on. Just come on. And she said, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm coming to church. Now, you listen, people like me hear people say that all the time, you know, and people like me, when I hear people say that, typically think, yeah, right, whatever, you know. But then she said this, I know God wants me in a church. And I've just been waiting to figure out the right place. And she said, I will be at church. I, I, won't be, I can't be there tomorrow, but I promise you next week I'll be at church. You look for me. You know what Jenny said? She said, why don't you come sit with me when you come to church? I'll help you take your kids where they're going to love that program. You come sit with me. Now, let me, let me go ahead and stop, and, and I want to make sure you understand the importance of this story. If she is here today, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, Juliana. But let me tell you something. You know what many of us church folks would think when Juliana walked in this building? Why is your shirt so tight? Why are your jeans so tight? Why are you wearing those high heels? What's up with all that makeup? What's, what are you doing? She's a beautiful little girl. And you know what I believe Jesus would say? I think he'd take those big old loving arms and open them up like this and he'd say, Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. It's folks like you that we created this church. Come on home. Could I say to you, church, when we start thinking about connecting Gwinnett and we start talking about how we connect people to the gospel, I believe Jesus gives us a model in Luke chapter 10 of what that looks like. You know, before we get there, though, I, I want to make sure that you understand my passion for, for bringing this. When I thought about this service, I thought about this. How do you connect Gwinnett? How do you connect people to life, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and let a church like ours come alive and be a, a radical part of their life? And I thought to myself, you know what? I can preach from now till the cows come home. You can say, well, I'll tell you what these people need. They need Jesus. That's what they need. And I could pound the, the pulpit more and I could shout louder and we could do music that's bigger and we could do big concerts and crusades and we could have banners and balloons out in the, in the, in the, you know, the parking lot and we could draw a crowd and have a big name speaker come in. And, but at the end of the day, you know what that guy at Exxon and you know what that little lady there at the Mexican restaurant, you know what they really want? They want somebody to treat them with gracious dignity and kindness. And they want the grace of Jesus that's been poured into us to overflow on those around them such that they are attracted to it so that they hear that people actually care. That's how you're going to connect Gwinnett. And so you say, well, Chuck, where do you get all that? Well, I want to make sure you get this. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go, make disciples, baptize them, and then he said, teach them everything that I've commanded you. And by the way, I'm going to give you the authority in all of heaven and all of earth to go do this. But then now watch this. Jesus said in Matthew 22, he said, the way I want you to do this, is I want you to do it because you love God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love others the way you love yourself. He said, well, I'm not really sure I love myself. Well, then open up the windows and the doors of your heart and look inside your heart. See Jesus alive and well and working in your heart and saying, you know what? I'm going to love me the way he loves me. Therefore, I'm going to love you the way he loves you. 
Now watch this. It gets even better. So Jesus said, go make disciples. But he said, go do that because you love God and you love other people. Oh, and by the way, in Galatians chapter five, do that and leave and live in the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the spirit of God, let us also keep in step with the spirit of God let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. You see, I believe if you think through how to connect Gwinnett, we must be take the Bible and its assignments to us from God, its author, and put them to work in our own lives and then in our community. But how do you do that in a world where gracious, caring, loving, compassionate acts for others, especially others different than us, are rarities? Well, here's a thought. You may want to jot these down. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is here's what he's saying. Stop putting you in front of everybody and start putting everybody ahead of you. Make sure what your desire is and that others can get from where they are to where God wants them to be. That young lady at the Mexican restaurant, you know, she's here. Where does God want her? Here. You know what? I don't know how he did it, but he intersected Jenny's path and her path. And now Jenny, as a follower of Christ, is her desire to help her get from where she is to where God wants her to be. How? With caring, gracious, dignified love. She, she doesn't need me to beat her over the head. She doesn't need me to scream at her. She doesn't, she doesn't need me to thump her with one more Bible verse. You know what she needs? She needs Jenny to love her in such a way that she can trust her and in grace follow her. And in the path from he, where she is to where God wants her to be, you see the fruits of the Spirit drop all the way. And I see love and I see patience and I see self-control. And all of that happens, and Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 10 of how that happens. Before I go there, let me give you a couple of the reminders. First John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, now, now take that one word, beloved, what, what, what literally we see the picture of is, I love you so much, I want to make sure you get this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But what about Romans chapter 12, verse 10? Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now remember, this is the same Jesus who said, if you want to be great, you must become my servant. If you want to be great, you must become my servant. He said, I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to be a ransom for many. Listen, everyone wants to be a part of a caring church. I've never heard anybody say, when you say, what are you looking for in a church? I've never heard anybody say, you know what I really want? I want a selfish church. I've never heard anybody say, you know what I really want? I want a church that doesn't care. I've never heard anybody say, you know, the kind of church I'm looking for is a stuck up church. You know, the kind of church, I want a church full of cliquish people. That's what I want. I've never heard, you know what I hear people say? I want a church that really cares. I want a church that when I'm out, they know I'm missing. I want a church that knows when I'm in the hospital, somebody's going to care for me. I want, I want to know who's going to marry me and who's going to bury me. And I, I want to be a part of a family. I want to be a part of something that matters. Well, if you want that kind of church, now watch this. If you want that kind of church, then hold up a mirror before you and say, what kind of person am I? Because that's the kind of church you are. See, the church is not the institution. You're the church. 
You're the church. I see old Glenn over there. Hey, Glenn, how you doing? He's become a good friend over the series of a crisis. And you know what? I, every time I've been around Glenn or I've spoken with Glenn or just Texas with Glenn, you know, can I brag on you just a minute? You know what I hear and see? I see a man who drops the fruits of the Spirit wherever he goes, full of self-control, dignity and grace and kindness. And can I say to you, what a cool model for a guy like me to see that happen. And I just think that's good. And I love that to see when people act like the church, not just any church, the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10, we begin in verse 25 and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. In other words, a lawyer is trying to put Jesus to the test. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now listen, but he, the, 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 the lawyer, by the way, he's a lawyer of Old Testament law. So it's not like he doesn't know what, what the Bible says. Okay. So he says, well, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I think he said it with a little swagger. I think he had a little head bob to it. I think it sounded like this. Well, Jeff, who is my neighbor? I think that's how he said it because he was trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus answers and tells this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, I want to make sure that you understand what I just read. For him to put the man on his own animal, he had to have gotten off of his animal, which tells me at some point what this man really did is he got off his donkey and he did something. So he goes on and he says, he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And so what Jesus teaches us here is this perspective that we need to go and do something. I, I suppose when you look at that, we, we struggle with trying to figure out how does Jesus define gracious living and a caring church? And to do that, I think you ought to look at the characteristics of an uncaring church. Some of us have been a part of that church. And it looks a little bit like this. I mean, get the picture. A bright lawyer of Old Testament law attempts to trap Jesus in a challenging and public way with the question, who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story that we just read and we learned from that story. Uncaring people are self-centered. Uncaring people are self-centered. All right, the, the guy who should have stopped most is the priest, right? But the priest who's all about him looks at the guy in need and says, I, I can't stop to be that lowly. I can't stop and help this guy who's battered and bloodied and beaten and naked and gotten up. Oh, I'm, I'm important. I matter. I mean, there's a YouTube sensation of a pastor out there at some point who kind of goes on a rant with his church. It's, it's, it's humorous, and yet at the same time, it's scary. 
He makes a statement and he says, I'm important. You know, the minute you think you're important, you're not. I mean, the minute you think you're something, you're nobody. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know what I think one of the greatest lessons to learn is the more self-centered we become, the less like Jesus we are. I think uncaring people are self-centered. Uncaring churches are self-centered. Uncaring people are too hurried. You know, not one time do you see Jesus walking through a town and say, hey, boys, we've got to catch a flight. We've got to go. I mean, not, not one time does Jesus go, man, I'd love to stop and pray with you, but for the fact is, you don't understand, I'm booked to meet somebody important. I mean, listen, I think when the Levite looked down over there and the, and the guy who should have been like him, the guy who should have naturally cared for his own, should have looked over and said, yeah, I, let me jump in the ditch and help, but he didn't. You know what? He was a little too hurried. Uncaring people are too isolated. You know, I would say to many of us, we need to break out of our Christian ghetto. We... we we go, to, we go to a good Christian church. We send our kids to a good Christian school. We listen to nothing but Christian music. We, all of that's good. We don't read anything but Christian books. And we only do is hang out with Christian people. And, and you know what? I'd say all of that's well and good. But you know what? There's a whole world full of people out there that don't walk with Christ and they don't act like it. And you know what they're dying for? For you to love them anyway and then invite them into your world. Because I think there's a whole world of people out there that are hurting that just... Just look at it and say, I don't fit into this world. And you know what Jesus says? Come on, I promise you, I love you, you fit. We got a whole church full of people like you. If we took all of our masks off, we got a whole full of people just like you. Come on. Sometimes I think we're too isolated. Number four, I think uncaring people are assuming. You know what I think the priest and the Levite probably thought as they walked by? Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will take care of that. I mean, Jenny last night could have thought, you know, somebody else will invite that young lady to Christ. But you know, somebody hadn't. And what did she say? I... I knew I'm supposed to be in church. She's waiting on somebody. She's waiting on somebody that would love her just like my wife did. We, we've got a couple, they're in this service right now. I'm not going to embarrass them even though I'm not past it. We've got a couple in this service right now. A lady came to them over in our guest reception several weeks ago, and she came and she said, I don't have a place to go home to. I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have any mood. I don't have food. I don't have any money. I don't have anything. Now, here's, here's what most of us do when somebody comes to us that way. We say, you know, our church has a team of people to care for that. Where is Pastor Chuck? Where's Ron? And they didn't do it. You know what they did? They took her to lunch. They, they, got her, they, they got her in a hotel for a week. They got her money for food. And they helped her get a job. And the whole while, guess what? Nobody in there was going, hey, look at me. Big star on the crown. Way to go, God. They simply said, I'll do that. We got a couple sitting right back there. And I will embarrass them. All right? I mean, the crewies. They, they, they went home and they heard about a ministry to children in Tanzania, am I right? In Tanzania, who uh, the sun would, would literally scorch them. And in that government, literally, they, they brutalized these children. And, and they, they got passionately fired up about it. And so Shannon said, hey, man, can our church help? I said, we, we really can't. We, we've got so many other mission trips, we can't add another one to it. And you know what they did? They just raised their own money and dug into their own pockets and went to Tanzania. And they spent, what, about 10 days there? And they just invested in those folks' lives. And you know what I thought? See, those, they got it. They just got it. You know, and they're about, they're about doing the Father's work. You see, we're, we're not assuming that somebody else might. I mean, I could have sat there and, and listened, and I thought to myself, you know, we, we need to go back with them. We need, we need, we need to do something. There, we can't be assuming. Uncaring people also think problems solve themselves. 
You know, if we just, if just let the guy lay there in a ditch, it'll be all right. I mean, it'll work its way out. You know how that one's going to end up? He's going to die. He's just going to die. You know how that little girl at the restaurant's going to wind up? Never being in church, never hearing the gospel, never knowing somebody cares. Number six, I think uncaring people are judgmental. You know what I think the Levite thought when he walked across there? He looked down there and said, you know, I bet that guy deserved it. I mean, look at him. Look, how, look, look at him. That's exactly, he probably got what he deserved. Sometimes I think we're judgmental when we look at that. You know, I, I, if we're to leave an imprint of grace and care and concern and love, just like the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, the fruit of the Spirit direct us, if we're to connect Gwinnett as we've been called to, then we better do as the Samaritan did and get off our donkey and do something. And stop, stop huddling together and talking about what we ought to do, but go do something. We walk through a brief list of what an uncaring church looks like. What about as we finish with the model of what a gracious, caring, loving church like? Again, according to the story Jesus teaches, the good Samaritan gets off his donkey and he does something. Because, you see, I think caring people put aside prejudices. My granddad was the original Archie Bunker. My granddad dropped the N-word like it was nobody's business. My granddad thought if you weren't white and born in America, you were killing the country. My granddad talked about it. He screamed about it. And I'll never forget the day that my dad looked at me and said, Pop, that's enough. That's just enough. Could I say to you, by the grace of God, that's enough. I mean, you realize God made us in his image and we're going to live in glory together. We better learn to live here together. By the way, it was a great time for an amen. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we need to set aside our prejudices. Number two, caring people notice other people's pain. I had the privilege of speaking at a church in Tampa yesterday morning, and a lady walked up to me, and she's just in tears. She talk, I was telling them a story about me and Jenny and combining our, our girls and the brutality found in blended family life, if you are familiar with it. I mean, it's just hard. You know, if you're in one of those blended families, it's just, there are times when you just it's just hard. And she just sat there and cried, talking to me. It's just so good to know that somebody cares. Sometimes we just need to stop and recognize somebody's pain and say, I, I want to help. Let me jump in and help. Number three, caring people take the time to be compassionate. According to Jesus' story, that man looked down and, you know, as a Samaritan, here's what it was. I want to put it in context so you get it. His compassion was birthed out of something that was the opposite of prejudice. It was the opposite of bigotry. Let's pretend it's 1964 and you're in southern Mississippi and that man who just got robbed was an African-American black man and they threw him in a ditch and a successful white dude who pastors a big church in southern Mississippi walked by and he looked down in that ditch and you know what he thought? Mm-mm, not me. He walked to the other side of the road and he passed by. And then right after that, here came an elder from the church down the road. And he looked down at that man and he said, Mm-mm, not me. And then about that time, an old farmer, white dude, still in southern Mississippi, flying the stars and the bars, looked down at that African-American man and he said, there's a guy that's hurting. There's a guy who needs me. And he got out of his old Chevrolet and he went down there in the ditch and he picked that man up and he put him in his back seat 
when he knew the rest of his community would look at him and say, how dare you? And he let that man's blood drip on the back seat of his car and he took him to the local day's end and he said, I'm going to doctor him up and fix him up. I'm going to give you enough money to care for him for the rest of the month and I'll be back. And you know what that innkeeper said? He's staying in my room. And the guy went until he found somebody where he would. And he said, I'm going to love this man because he is built in the image of God just like me. Caring people get off their donkey and serve, and caring people live with an open hand. You know what that guy didn't do? That guy didn't look down and say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to help you in secret here. He didn't. He opened up and he gave everything he had to help this man become all God wanted him to be. So finishing the parable, Jesus turns to the lawyer and asks him in verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. So Jesus finishes the test with these simple life-altering words. He says, you go and do likewise. So what's likewise? Getting off your donkey with compassion and grace. So let me give you super quick here, six get off your donkey exercises. I think we we ought to be about, you ready? Number one, identify people who need your care. Think right now, who in my life do I need to invest in? You got a picture? You got a name? Okay, if you can't think of somebody who needs something right now, if you can't think of somebody in your life who needs you to care for them, let me ask you another question. Do you know for sure if you were to die, you go to heaven? You'll see in the presence of Jesus alive in your life, he just brought you somebody. Number two, Reach out to others and don't wait for them to come to you. Be proactive. Get off your donkey and go do something. Don't, don't wait for somebody to say, hey, I got a problem here. Just If you see it, do it. Number three, communicate beyond the superficial level. You know what I wanted to do with that, 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 that little server last night? I wanted to communicate at the superficial level. How are you? Good. Good. How's food? Wonderful. Yeah, good. Nice. Sweet. Love you. Bye. You know, all, that's what I want to do. You know what Jenny wanted to do? Tell me your name. Tell me how old you are. Tell me where you live. How can I help you? And all of a sudden, it went from the superficial to the substance. And in the substance, she can take her from where she is to where God wants her to be. Get beyond the superficial level. Number four, stop long enough to find compassion for other people. Empathize with them. Get off, get off your hamster wheel long enough to see people who have a need and go help meet it. Go help meet it. All right? Number five, start listening and stop judging. Over in James chapter one, our guys over at Bibles and Barbells Wednesday night, you know what we learned? God gave us one yapper and two ears. You know why? He needs us to listen twice as much as we talk. You know, sometimes we need to stop judging the guy in the ditch and we need to start listening to his cries. Number six, get off your donkey and do something. Stop, stop thinking that this is about showing up and sitting here. It's about living this out there. So how about you? Are you willing to be a caring, gracious, loving person? If so, you can be a part of a caring, gracious, loving church because you're the church. You know what the greatest billboard for this church is? You. You know how people know this church? You. You know how your neighbors know this church? You. So who's God placed in your heart and in your mind right now to reach out and connect with? And I promise you, if nobody comes to mind, then here's what I want you to reach out and do. Jesus, I need you. I love you. Come be my Savior. Come be my Lord. He can give you a brand new you from the inside out if you'll simply allow him to let your soul cry out to him today. And I pray you do that in this time. Let's stand up and worship him together.